Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast presented by Round Guys Brewing Company. Located up in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, I'm your host, Bill McGinney. Today we get to speak with Bill Gottschall, a local music educator who has been phenomenal in building up the music scene in the, uh, the Lansdale region. In addition, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, Bill Gottschall had brought Tommy Campbell back in February, back to the Philadelphia area to play his first shows in 35 years, uh, and that was at the Underground was around early February. We were blessed to have Tommy Campbell, a legendary jazz hero. Uh, he He's drummed for everyone from Dizzy Gillespie on down, traveled the world, and has, has just uh, been a phenomenal musician, um, and we were in- incredibly lucky and, and blessed to have that guy stop by at our facility and, and sell out two straight nights. Without further ado, Bill Gottschall is going to be discussing his shows coming up. We got two really cool shows. Now, Bill is a, he isn't our typical musician. He's not going to be sitting there uh, slinging rock or rap around. Instead, Bill really is a singer-songwriter of the nth degree. He enjoys building show tunes and building uh, stories in his music. So the fifth and sixth, we're going to be doing songs of the American century, and that's going to be with an all-star cast of musicians, including Beth Reed of RGM Project. Uh, you really can't ask for better musicians than, than what he's put together. And then on May 11th, we'll have the uh, story songs, which is going to be kind of like short story rock songs. So feel free to sit back, listen in. Uh, this is another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast, presented by Round Guys Brewing Company, with Bill Gottschall today. Bill, how you been, man? Good, thanks. Yeah, so you lived with, is that right? Did you live with two two legendary musicians, just by <laughs> chance? <laughs> one legendary, one near legendary, we'll say. I think we can um, bump yeah. that up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell Mike Leslie I just said that. But I think he'd acknowledge that Tommy Campbell's a, a bigger name than he is. But they're both uh, incredible musicians who played with a, a list of people. It's like a who's who of, of jazz and rock. It's I'm very lucky to have known these guys and that they uh, remember me and want to still work together. Yeah, so where did you meet these guys? Berkeley College of Music up in Boston. All right. People who don't know music always think it means University of California at Berkeley, and I say, no, the other coast. Yeah, I had no idea it was in Boston. I always thought it was just living somewhere out in California. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't necessarily think it was part of the uh, UC campuses. But at the same time, you know, I, so I, I'm i an idiot there. And I no. think before you mentioned that, um, that right, like, the Berkeley school isn't focused on rock, right? No, it, it's, I'm told by, by people who are still connected like Tommy Campbell that they're still doing the same misleading thing. Uh, it's been a jazz school since the beginning, since the late 1940s when it was founded. Um, but I guess to get more people in the door, they advertise it in all the guitar player magazines, you know, everything i was fooled thinking it was a rock school but once i adjusted i was very happy i got a great education there and it made me a much more well-rounded person than i would have been otherwise yeah i figure after you throw enough money at something right 
It's uh, a <laughs> there's some kind of allegiance now. I'm just joking, uh, <laughs> because I picked up a book back when I was learning guitar. And I picked that up. I don't know when I was uh 26 or so, and I picked up the Essentials book, which is phenomenal. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, that was all technique and it was all uh, theory, and you know that that was is monumental, I guess, but probably not for a hobbyist who's <laughs> not going to be playing lead guitar in any band anytime soon. No, not for any rock guitarist, unless you want to play uh, flat 13 altered chord or something, which um, you'd never do in anything except jazz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad to have you, man. You're you're always a pleasure to work with, and I know last time we had Tommy here, it was the first time Tommy had done a show in the Philadelphia region in, uh, in what, 40 years? Uh, 30, 30 or 35 years. Yeah. He, he had come through in the mid eighties, I think 85 with John McLaughlin, the guitarist. Uh, he, at that time he, he wasn't calling it the Mahu Vishnu orchestra anymore. He had a band that was all from France and Tommy had been living in Paris for a number of years and been touring whenever uh, McLaughlin came to Europe. And then, um, he uh, came to here and they, uh, told a funny story about when they came back to this area. Tommy's from Willow Grove originally. He was born in Norristown, but he hadn't been back in, in a long, long time. And uh, he was driving out Route 309, and they wanted to see if the 309 driving was still there, which it still was at that time. And these musicians... And this, this is in the, the never, 80s. Yeah, it was yeah. in the mid-80s. It was still there. Musicians from France had never even heard of the concept of a drive-in movie theater, and they were fascinated by this. They thought this was the most incredible thing they'd ever seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's people listening right now that might be fascinated as well. <laughs> you don't see drive-in movie theaters anywhere. No, I, I've seen one or two in these little resort towns like up in New England that have still survived, but that's about it. Yeah, maybe we should open a brewery and have a drive-in movie theater like that, right? <laughs> But I rebel against those little tiny speakers you used to put inside your car window. They were the worst fidelity ever. Yeah, a music guy, I'm sure you really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be bringing on the show you have of coming up on um, May 4th and 5th. Right? Did I have those dates right? 5th, 5th should, and 6th. I should really do notes. I mean, I have notes, but I never write down the <laughs> dates, so it always is a guessing game for me. Um, yeah, so you got really into doing show tunes, right? Uh, what happened? What was the course? Why did you dive down that track? When I finished it at Berkeley, um, it, for people who, who haven't been to a situation like that, it's, it's like a intense trade school. Um, I guess kind of like in a grad school, the professors are the ones that can get you work because those are all guys that have toured for decades, but they're kind of tired of it. So they go to teach there, but they still have all the contacts. So if you want to you know, get into a touring band yourself, you want to be teacher's pet because that'll get you some, some work. And it's really, really competitive, almost cutthroat. And I just wanted to get something a little different. And so there was, that was still in the era when New York shows, Broadway shows used to try out in Boston, New Haven, Philadelphia, and Washington. They would um, take a show there before it was ready to open work out all the kinks, rewrite. Uh, they, they do entire, um, like, 10 or 15-minute segments overnight. They so, watch the curtain go down. So hold on. Then, so, so they would it, say, would that be, like, a Wanna Street? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. it mainly was the big chains. The Schubert chain was the one that was the really big one, so they tended to put them in their own theaters. But okay. um, where would that be in Philadelphia? Just out of curiosity. Um, the Forest Theater, I think, was the Schubert Theater at one time. Um, uh, so it would mainly be there. So the, they're the taking like, they're taking these these upcoming shows. They want to see how they float before they get to the big time. Yeah, it was before they shows cost millions and millions of dollars. Um, so they would take them to a, a smaller city and they sort of do a focus group, find them an audience. They see how the audience reacted and all the, the people that were creating it, the director, the producers, everybody would stand along the back rail behind the, the seats at the back of the theater and watch the audience reaction. Yeah, they that, wouldn't so much watch the show as the audience reaction. That's very, that's very old school. And now waiting for Guffman, the movie makes plenty of sense to me. I've always wondered yeah, yeah. about the premise. That's exactly yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, great. All right. See what I learned? But it was great because I, I um, hired on as a rehearsal pianist to these shows when they would come through. And, you know, it was all Broadway music and it was something I easily adapted to after learning jazz. And um, I, I learned a whole new phase of that. And then once, you know, a couple of shows had come through and I got the hang of it, but they're always, you know, up and coming young singers that want accompanists. So I just found most of my work for the next 20 years was accompanying singers doing Broadway material. Wow. So I guess, was there a specific allure that did you, you enjoyed it, right? This yeah. Is something I, I, that you really it, found to be a passionate pursuit. Yeah. It, it's, it's a different kind of playing than straight jazz playing or rock playing because you're most situations, you're the whole orchestra. You have to cover the sound of a whole Broadway pit orchestra with just two hands. And so it, it's a great challenge, but also there's a kind of, uh, communication with a singer you, you can't see the singer's face you just have to pick up the vibes of where he or she is going to go with everything you hear the the breathing pattern when they're going to need more support on a, a high passage or something that's going to be softer you bring it back a little bit it, i always like when things were a challenge like a puzzle like that and so that kind of communication between two people that can't see each other but can only just kind of pick up little nuances in the voice that was always fun to me now last time i was on broadway it was uh maybe eight years ago but when i was up there the everyone is pretty much a singer right so you don't have it's not just a one individual you might have the whole acting core that's going to be you know it's yeah. a musical right essentially broadway is just musical theater right uh, right so so you're when you say you're you're writing for the whole orchestra and now do you have multiple musicians that are that are assisting you in developing this or is it just you that's developing I I'm curious about the depth of the music and how you develop that depth of the music. Yeah, I should explain that. I'm I'm kind of talking in shorthand here. Um you when people go to see a show, you have to remember that the Broadway music for the 50s and the 1960s, that was the popular music of the day. So when a song would come out in, in a musical, you know, a couple of weeks later, it was on the top 40 radio everywhere. And so then everybody wanted to sing it in clubs and everywhere. So when I'm saying I'm accompanying singers, there are people that wanted to do this in bars, you know, and, and small clubs, especially the cabarets, you know, the where people would put together a whole night of, of songs that came from Broadway shows. And that's the kind of show I'm trying to think for us to do on on the fifth and the sixth is, is kind of more like a cabaret act where it's a whole collection of songs, but I, I want to 
cover a, a broad range of, of history too, because you know that that American musical really started to come into its own in the late twenties and early nineteen thirties and hit its peak in the fifties. And so there's a several decades that I want to cover there in, in terms of how that developed. Right. So so you find a passion to be something to create a musical universe pretty much with a singer you don't know, an audience you might be able to assume from and you don't know is it just you recording the music you doing the physical is just um i know you you're a talented musician but you primarily play keyboard or is it how's that work yeah i'm a keyboard player but um if you kind of use your imagination you can people would have learned these songs from having seen the broadway musical or, or seen it on television and you know and something uh, and then you go to a club and you have that sound in your mind, you know, you remember it with a big pit orchestra, but at the club, it's just going to be a piano and a singer. And so the pianist has to give that illusion of a whole orchestra. That's what I was referring to in that trying to play the piano in a way that I can cover enough sound that it feels like it's a whole orchestra behind that, that singer. And yeah. so that that's the fun challenge for me in doing that kind of thing. And what we're going to do, the underground is we're going to have at least a small orchestra we're going to have trumpet two saxes piano bass and drums so it'll have a little more oomph to it and um that was the thing i, I really developed a passion for at berkeley was was called arranging and orchestrating is is taking whatever combination of instruments you have and trying to use them in the best way to make the the most interesting sound and so you know it's it's not the same anymore with Budgets are so huge, but back in in the 1950s, I mean, there would be 25 to 30 instruments in the pit in, or, in a Broadway orchestra. So when you only have five or six in a club, you're trying to make it feel like that big sound. But you know, you use a little bit of craft to make it sound bigger than it really is. And what was the show you you've developed scores for certain shows, right? I, I did number my own here locally. Um, I I was a essentially a gopher on a couple big shows. Um, I I was lucky that when I was starting out in the early '80s, that was the last decade of these out of, what they called them out of town tryouts. And so I worked in Boston primarily at the, the Colonial Theater, and um, they took an old Gershwin show, actually several Gershwin shows back in 84 and they kind of combined them together and to make one mega show. And it was called my one and only. And, uh, unless you're a, a theater person, you wouldn't know the star of that. His name is Tommy tune, but he was a big, uh, singer, dancer star in the sixties, seventies and eighties. But, um, most people, at least people old enough to remember the sixties will know the co-star. It was the first supermodel Twiggy, and I was her rehearsal pianist for that show. Oh, that must have been a thrill, man. How'd you feel? Like this, <laughs> this is kind of big time for you, right? So. Yeah, except it was a, it was a, a difficult thing because she is not a singer. So, like you were saying earlier, everybody's a singer, and that's the way it usually is. But every now and again, they'll cast somebody for for star value who you can't really sing, and and that was the right. case. She couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, and so. She needed lots of extra rehearsals uh, to try to do this. She's a really nice person and, and was was very kind to me, but um, she really had to work hours and hours to, to even learn how to just basically sing any any tune. Right, and, and that's so I, that's when you developed your drinking problem. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, she probably won't hear this, uh, (laughs) but uh, her husband died of a drinking problem, and I I got to contribute to that, unfortunately, part way, because when I was, during the daytime, I was the rehearsal pianist, and in the nighttime, I was the head bartender in the theater, you know, make sure I get my... uh, Yeah, you have to get paid. Get paid, and and, uh, he was there to watch this whole run it actually lasted a whole month usually those things last a week or two but they had a lot of trouble with that show and they completely rewrote it and uh her husband came from england and he just was at my bar every night all night long just drinking 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 it was kind of a sad story oh that's that's a shame yeah i don't like to hear those stories no Um, yeah but we have we do have beth reed coming in and she's gonna be working with you and i I love Beth Reed. I think she's a phenomenal vocalist, and I'm really excited, actually, the lineup you have that's going to be backing you, I guess, <laughs> in developing uh, that, that Friday-Sunday combo. Um, it's Friday-Sunday, right? Saturday-Sunday. God, man, I cannot do this. <laughs> that, I swear, I'm just drinking coffee today, Bill. I'm, that's what I'm doing. All right? <laughs> um, it's last night that was the problem. Yeah, last night, man, let me tell you. Um, yes, but the... The combo, I think this is a phenomenal group of musicians. And I know Beth is bringing some for bandmates, and you're going to have some of the guys who are here from Tommy Campbell. Um, and is it, this is really looking like a great time. How do you know Beth? Uh, from the underground. I had uh, wanted to, I, I had already signed on with you guys to do the Tommy Campbell uh, show, but I wanted to hear the acoustics and kind of get a feel for the room and what we have to do in it, setting up for everything. And so, RGM project was there a couple weeks before we were, so I went to hear them, and I was so impressed with her singing. I asked her to do this show now. Yeah, they're they're such a good band. I mean, musically, they're so talented, and everyone is. I I think those guys, they are hard to fit physically in our space. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was amazed when I saw they had ten people up there. Yeah, but they're but they're so great to work with and such good musicians. All right, so you got a second show because we like you, man. So we decided, hey, you know what, Bill, <laughs> when do you need to be here? We'll we'll give you a month. All right, you can do a residency here at the Underground. <laughs> so well, the tr- the truth is, I I was trying to get Tommy Campbell back in again, and um, he he does so much touring. He's right now he's in Europe. Um, that I just took two dates, knowing that. I could probably get one of them to work. The other one I would do a rock show with. And so um, that's the way it was set up. But then he was due to be there for the Saturday, Sunday, uh, May 5 and 6. But he uh, was offered a gig in New Orleans with uh, the uh, singer-dancer Savian Glover. And so he was going to keep this one, but I released him. I, I didn't want to give make him miss that, that gig. So that's how I then called Beth and just said, How'd you like to uh, come in and do this show with us? And brought a couple of her band members along too. But in the, and then we look at the end of the week. We go to the eleventh, and you're bringing in Mike Leslie, right? Yeah, he was another one of my roommates at Berkeley. Um, this goes back Mike, to your your famous living stories. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. a series. If yeah, you didn't know, funny. folks, this is a series. <laughs> Every time you talk to him, it's a different guy. <laughs> yeah, I I had lost track of Mike. For 30 years, um, the last I'd seen him was probably 86 or 87, um, and then he moved back to Montana, where he's from originally, and, you know, this is 
before the internet really took off. So it was hard to keep track of people if you didn't, you know, exchange addresses and you, people move and you lose track. Um, but believe it or not, the, the night after our final show at the underground with Tommy Campbell, he went back to New York City and he went right to a club to see another friend of his, a guy who had been the drummer for Earth, Wind & Fire for a lot of years. And between sets, Tommy went up on the stage to talk to his friend, that, that drummer, and he heard this guy calling his name from out in the audience, and it was Mike Leslie, our other roommate, that uh, we had lost track of. He was in the same club the same night. Oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> Tommy got him back in touch with me, and then that's how he's coming to play down here. Wow. Wow. So stories seem to be a really strong portion of your musical experience. And I noticed that, obviously, the uh, show tunes, and then when we go to skip ahead to the following week on the 11th when you're doing uh, the story songs, uh, what, do, what do you make of that? What, how do you – I feel like you can explain that one a lot better than I can. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I have always been interested in, in lyrics and songs. Um, I guess as a singer, that's what you're trying to always to get across. Um, and s- songs that really – told a narrative story, always grabbed my attention. Now, I was lucky in that when I started playing in the, in the 70s, that was kind of a golden age for, for those kinds of songs. That's when James Taylor got his start. Um, you know, the Beatles were writing lots of songs that told stories. I think about Eleanor Rigby and um, other songs out there is like that. And um, it just stuck in my mind that all these years I wanted to do a show sometime with just only songs that really told a short story from beginning to end, where you could follow the beginning, middle, and end of a short story. And when this weird thing came up where I rediscovered my old friend from Montana, and he said he'd love to come down here and play a gig, I said, well, this is the time to do it. I love the fact that the underground is a place where people come to listen to the music. You can't do this kind of concept show in a bar, you can't even do it in many clubs because they're just loud. There's sports bar TV, you know, blaring. Um, people are there talking over the band. But this is one of the only places I've ever played where everybody sits there and focuses on every single note of the music. So I thought it was a natural to try out here. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it. That's, you know, we have singer-songwriter nights about once a month. Actually, here, well, after this airs, in April we had Monica Rizzio, and I think that's all we have. But usually we have about once or twice a month. And people really do sit in there. It's a very intimate setting. And I think you get the, the connection, the communication back and forth from the musician directly to those sitting in the audience. And it is very, very one-on-one. And I, I think you're on to something. And we appreciate that. Um, and I, I really think it's – so do you write? Do you, do you write in your own spare time when you're not doing music, when you're not teaching? Um, do you, Are you fascinated – reader i guess or is it just is your creative spirit strictly on the music side no i i i um i've written a number of short stories i am like a lot of writers i've been working for years and years on a novel um it's more than halfway done and i keep saying each summer i'm going to push it all the way to being done but um well, if you don't get it done you don't you know you, you don't have something to look forward to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they say everybody has one story to tell in his life, so I don't want to finish this one too soon. 
And yeah, I, I written a number of plays. Um, I did some some musical plays that I wrote the the music and the lyrics for, but also I've written a, a couple of just straight dramatic plays. Um, I guess the one that got the most um, attention was called A Fast Train to Heaven. It was um, written probably 83 or 84. Um, the, the main, the, the two main characters in, in the story are, are people with, um, you know, disabled in, in one way or another, and they come together to help each other. And then halfway through, after Act One, I, I uh, kill off one of them, and so the other one has to learn how to be a complete person without the, the person that was his other half. So you know, those kind of stories are explored all the time in romantic settings. But this was just you know, two people that were helping each other try to cope with the world and uh, pull their strengths. And how do you do that when you lose your friend that's going to help? Right. Uh, right. The, pers- got, the person versus yeah, himself, right? Exactly. And it, it got picked up by a organization called Delaware Valley Arts Institute. And um, it was used at St. Joseph's University um, to train uh, school teachers. So those in-service days that teachers have, um, they can get credit to go. Right. That's, take- that's when you guys fold up paper, have t- toss paper airplanes and sit there and do everything that <laughs> – kick your feet up. Yeah, yeah. The teachers act immature, though, like the students they complain about. But they would. Uh, we put that on probably thirty or thirty-five times. Um, most of those for for teacher and service training to, you know, sensibility training. You know, to to help people sort of envision how they can work with differently abled people. And it was it was a it ran a couple times in regional theater here as well. So it was it was a good experience. Wow, that's incredible. And what was the name of that again? A fast train to heaven. I'm also a train nut, besides being a, a music and a history nut. And so, um, the the main character in there loves trains. And so he uh, when he he wants to go visit his friend who dies, and he believes that um, the way to get there is to jump onto the fastest train that goes by. It'll take him to heaven. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time might be number one. It might be number three. I don't know. Uh, it depends what day I'm feeling. Is the station agent? You ever seen that movie? No, but I know I know of it. Yeah, yeah. That that movie is definitely. A, if you're a train nut, now it's not totally about trains, but the setting, it, it's kind of like the background is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, living in a train station, so a great movie. But but yeah, that's that's. So tell me a little more about the the history side, man. I didn't know that. I, if I knew that, I could have had some great questions here. Man, <laughs> you're, just, you're you're skating on by. <laughs> Well, I was a, a very nerdy kid when I grew up. Other kids were out, you know, playing ball. I was sitting in there looking at encyclopedias and maps and studying all that stuff. And um, I just developed a real love of history. And I, I guess for me, it's just another kind of storytelling. It's just on a bigger, grander scale. When you study history, you're you're, you're studying the story of, of who we are. And... Uh, in fact, one of the songs we're going to do on on the 11th of May is is my favorite one that combines my two loves. Um, there's a British folk singer named Al Stewart. Now everybody knows him for his "Year of the Cat" song from the 80s, but that was actually not one of his best songs. Uh, I think his all-time best song is called "Roads to Moscow," and it's uh, it's taken from one of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's books. Um, a day in the life of, I'll never say this right, Ivan Denisovich. 
talks about a guy who was uh, in the Soviet army in World War II, and because he had had momentary contact with the West when he was taken prisoner for a, for a day, when he got back to the Soviet Union, he was sent to one of the gulags and uh, spent the rest of his of his days in prison because Stalin was afraid of anybody who had any contact with the West, uh, what would happen. And so this is a song that just tells the story of this soldier. And it's pretty much Solzhenitsyn's own life. You know, he didn't spend his whole life in the, in the, in the uh, penitentiary, but uh, he spent a sizable part of it. And it talks about his days fighting first backwards, uh, toward Moscow when the Germans invaded, then fighting their way all the way back to Berlin. And then just when the war is over, he gets sent to the to a camp in Siberia to, uh, to be imprisoned. Uh, it's a really fascinating song. And it, it, it's it's one you can't do in any club except where people come to listen, like the underground. So I've never performed this before, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And which, well, no, I want to ask you which night. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, that's, that's great. Uh, that's I didn't know about that story. And I think... I'm right there with you, man. Like when it comes to stories, I think you have the best stories from history itself. Fiction tries, but fiction can't yeah. recreate the factual nuances. The, the incredible things that actually happened in history are are so hard to recreate in fiction. And I like both, but I'm I'm a history geek, a history geek, right with you. <laughs> uh, I just got done reading the Bully Pulpit, and I got um, working through uh, Grant right now, and I know, uh, uh, you know, like you asked me anything on ancient history, and I'm right there with you. So, uh, but yeah, Bill, this is great, man. I really appreciate you taking some time to chat. Looking forward to your show on the 5th and 6th of May and on the 11th. And the 5th and 6th is going to be the show tunes with yep. featuring Beth Reed, um, Andrew New, right? Yeah, his brother Peter New. It's nice to get a, a pair of brothers up there on stage. Uh, Ed Edkins, who, believe it or not, was my high school jazz band teacher. Uh, he was right out of college, and now I'm working with him. He worked with the Tommy Campbell Band. He's going to be here again on May 5th and 6th. Uh, a good friend of mine um, named John Moran, who's a drummer, Excellent. he's going to be with us. And um, Ed Edkins' son, Michael, uh, is a bass player. He'll be up there, too. And uh, we're also uh, bringing in a, a friend of Mine from New York City, uh, Lloyd DeBonis is a trumpet player. So we'll have a couple horns up there, rhythm section, and, and Beth and I will sing. It's going to be a full experience. I know how Beth can belt. This is going to be a really incredible experience. You, you've got a line. You have a full band up there, uh, a really yeah. full, full experience for anyone who's sitting here in the audience. Great. And then on the 11th is going to be a little more – it's a little different, but at the same time, I expect – nothing less from you bill so we got mike yeah, leslie in house. yeah I, I didn't get a chance to plug that one I, I should have done that earlier but it's it's my friend mike leslie who's who's worked with everybody i mean he he worked with steven stills carol king um uh, edgar and johnny winter he, he's played with lots and lots of big stars eddie van halen he, he worked with in a concert and he's bringing along one of his friends i have not yet met but are looking forward to it named Dan Hickey, who's a drummer, who was drummer for seven years for They Might Be Giants. Um, he all toured many times with Joe Jackson, Cindy Lauper. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, these are guys that have great credentials. I'm really honored they're going to come to Lansdale to work with me. Was he the original drummer for They Might Be Giants? 
Well, it, it's funny. I, I had thought that at first because he was with them so many years, but the original drummer was a drum machine. It was just oh, the two guys that go. started the band. They just used a drum machine for a lot of years. So when they went on tour, they realized they had to get a drummer. So they, they picked Dan, and he was their drummer for seven years. Wow. Well, great. Good stuff. All right, Bill, where can people find out more about you? I have a Facebook site, Bill Gottschall mm-hmm. Music. My name is spelled G-O-T-T-S-H-A-L-L, not the uh, usual spelling G-O-D. That's uh, people who anglicized it more than we original Germans that kept it with the two T's. Um, And, of course, on the underground, your website. Great. All right. All right, Bill. Always a pleasure, man. Uh, Thanks again for taking some time and looking forward to the shows. All right, thank you for listening. That wraps up my interview with Bill Gottschall. You can find out more about the Underground at underground.roundguysbrewery.com or you can find out more about Round Guys Brewing Company in general at roundguysbrewery.com. You can find us on Facebook slash Round Guys or find the Underground on Facebook slash Underground RGBC or is it RGBC underground one of those two uh and then i also start up a facebook page for this very here podcast so please please like us uh, it's called the original slacker the original slacker just one word check us out and we look forward to having some conversations with you guys look forward to pr- bringing you content that you guys can enjoy and really looking forward to, to boosting up the scene and and providing some fun times for everyone involved with our brand and our organization and and those who are living in suburban Philadelphia and the general region. Thanks once more and have a great time, guys.